Hey, Chloe. Hey, Raf. How are you going? Yeah, good. How's the weather up there? Yeah, it's great. It's really great. And I'm, I'm so looking forward to talking to you. Yeah, me Highlight too. of my week. Yeah. So, um, what, are we, what are we talking about? Well, today I'd like to talk about the dangers of safety culture. Aha, one of my favourite topics. And what do you understand uh, that to mean? <sighs> you know what? I see repercussions of people being told that certain movement patterns are dangerous. I see repercussions of this in the way people are fearful of movements day in and day out. I see this in my personal circle. I see this in uh, my students. I see this in my clients. Basically, when people are given non-evidenced-based reasons as to why they should not do a certain movement pattern or why they should be fearful of it. And I see this not only in the the physio world, it seems very tied up in contemporary contemporary Pilates realm as well, maybe, you know, and, like... And don't forget classical and don't, and don't forget... Oh, sorry. Okay. So um, can I just put yeah, can I just yoga. put my hand up there? Can I just put my hand up there? When I think contemporary, I'm sorry. I, I like to. I just, just like mean to clarify. At the moment. Well, yeah. I mean, kind of post Joe's death. Mm-hmm. To be honest, is what I think of it. I know we could kind of go down the route we're not, of we're not controlology, trying, nah. classical. We're not trying to cause any. I'm just saying post Joe's, de- Joe's, yeah. Joe's yeah. death. That's all I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. yeah. I think thanks I for think, clarifying that before I start something. <laughs> I think um, I think it's 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 even more insidious than what you've described. Like you're saying, okay. you know, people are told that it's dangerous to do certain moves. I think actually, you know, yeah, you know, that certainly is a thing. And I've worked at places where they've said, oh, you can't teach these exercises because they're quite dangerous um, or whatever. Um, but I think mostly it's it's it comes in the form of like basically like almost like a reverse compliment, you know. So it it's comes oh. in the forms of telling people, or oh, make sure you, you know, engage your glutes in this back bend to stay safe. You know, make sure you engage your abs before you do this exercise to keep yourself nice and neutral and safe. You know, so make sure you engage your abs before you do, yeah, the back bend. So right. you want me to do a plank. Right. So right. so rather than saying, you know, explicitly <laughs> saying, you know, back bends are dangerous or forward bends are dangerous or whatever. Yeah. You know, much more frequently, it seems to me, we're saying something like, you know, do A, B, and C. Usually it's like squeeze this particular muscle to or keep this, mm. you know, keep this body part straight um, in order to keep safe. So the word dang, mm. danger is never used, but mm. it's implied because if there's safety, well, that means, you know, if you, if you need to keep safe. You do the opposite. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, yeah, there's yeah. danger in the movement. Right. Yeah. And what if, and what if, and I, and I used to hear this a lot, and I'm pretty sure, Raf, and I like to put my hand up because, guys, we've, like, this has been, Raf and I have been on a, a learning experience throughout, you know, our journey of being yeah. in the Pilates realm as well and what we know as evidence and what, you know, is now superseded. And I have in my early days insisted that clients be in a neutral, whatever the fuck that is, <laughs> neutral alignment, pelvic alignment mm. in footwork. 
Because otherwise there's too, uh, no joke, too much shear force on the spine yeah. and it could be damaging for their discs, Raph. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I said that. Yeah. And it really, really it deeply pains me to say that. Raph, how much how much shear force reckons actually going through the spine when you're laying flat on your back doing footwork uh, on the reformer? You know, essentially none. Yeah. Like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and, and if I'm saying to a client, ensure you're in neutral spine and I'm getting them to find that neutral spine and I am definitely doing inverted commas with this by popping their hands, you know, creating the V, you know, the old, the, you know, the palm of the hand on the ASIS and then your, your fingers on your pubic symphysis yeah. and like trying to get the triangle to even out. What the? Seriously, that's, I'm sorry, but that's a what the fuck moment. It's a little still, bit kinky, isn't it? It's a... <laughs> I'm still seeing people do it. I'm still seeing people do it. They're there and they put it and I'm like, hey, everyone, pop your arms by your side. <laughs> just everyone just, you'll be fine, no seriously. <laughs> pop your arms by your side and, you know, guys, if you need to know a little more about why that's just totally biomechanically inaccurate, even trying to find some sort of neutral with that, listen to episode two Imposter on Syndrome, yeah. Yeah, on imposter syndrome. Mm. So, um, right. So, if I'm saying to my client in footwork and I'm saying you have to make sure you're in neutral or you could actually hurt your back, right? Or just, or, so, even, or even if you're just saying, you know, make sure you're in neutral so you keep safe, you know, to keep your back so you stable or, or, or stable, you know, which implies that if you don't, oh, then you're stable. unstable, you know. Keep your pelvis stable. I'm now, I'm now envisioning some sort of quadruped, which is a four point movement, right? I'm thinking bird dog. Let's, could we have a more low level biomechanical movement than bird dog, right? So we're, we're in four-point kneeling. You reach one arm out in front of you, one leg behind you. Oh, my God, make sure your pelvis is stable. Mm. But I, I hear people say that all the time when people are lying on their back and lifting their legs up, you know, keep your pelvis stable, make sure your pelvis is stable in this exercise in footwork, you know, legs in straps, all kinds of things. And, you know, again, stable, I, I think people don't really know what it means. Um, I don't think they know either. Um, I think what what most people mean when they say stable is to keep it still, still mm. um, which is not the same thing as stable, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in biomechanical sense. But let's not go into the definition of what actually stable means. But I think what's important for today's discussion is that, well, if you're keeping stable, you're avoiding being unstable. And I think, mm. you know, most people probably would think that a unstable pelvis doesn't sound like a thing you want to have. You know? mm, and and there is so – I've heard so many stories about women who thought they had an unstable pelvis yeah. and they've gone – it's gone on to cause such extreme yeah. detrimental, serious detrimental impacts on their life. Like I'm talking for years, years so, and years and years. So what's – It's so, bad. Like so it's not okay. So what is the problem, right? So if I'm if – I'm, if I go along to my local Pilates class or I'm doing a Zoom class or whatever and I'm doing, you know, lying on my back, lifting my legs up to tabletop um, and, you know, the instructor says, oh, Raf, you know, make sure you keep your pelvis stable, you know, what's, what on earth is the problem with that, you know? It's pretty innocuous. So why, why are we doing a whole episode on it? Well, I don't think it is innocuous. I think it's actually really 
potentially very dangerous from a nocebic point of view. And I think we should actually, just for those who may not have listened to earlier episodes, I think in a moment we should actually define nocebo again because I don't think there's any harm in um, defining it multiple times. Um, And the more I've spoken about it publicly, the more I've noted that it's a new concept to a lot of people um, and quite an eye-opening concept. Mm. Um, And... um, I've lost my train of thought. So let's let's talk about nocebo first. Yeah, nocebo. It's uh, when you think something's going to hurt, it's more likely to hurt. Um, and you know, most people have heard of the placebo effect, and that's where, in you know, in most, or in fact, I'd say all uh, clinical drug trials these days, they have a they test the new drug against a placebo, which is basically just a pretend pill it's just like a sugar pill or whatever that has no actual drug in it and uh, the reason they do that is because they know that just taking a sugar pill if you think it's panadol it actually works pretty much as good as panadol mm. does um and there's the placebo effect is very well documented it's you know it's, there's thousands of studies that have documented the placebo effect and quantified it and you know it's very robust finding that when people take some kind of you know medical intervention that they think is going to provide pain relief, lo and behold, it provides pain relief. And so it's not Mm. just tablets. So, you know, placebo injection, placebo surgery, placebo acupuncture, you know, all all (laughs) We went there. Right. So, you know, and and this is is not having a go at any of those things, although there could be an opportunity to do that some other time. But, you know, like we, we, they do a trial of acupuncture where they have, you know, one group of the patients receive real acupuncture from an acupuncturist and the other group receive pretend acupuncture where they put the needles in the wrong spot or they don't even use needles they just use little sheaths that look like the needles and they tap mm. them and they don't mm. even know that it's not really a needle or they give placebo mm. surgery by mm. I was going to say or shoulder arthros- 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 yeah, so they, yeah so they do like for subacromial decompression for people who were presumed to have shoulder impingement they you know they slice off a bit of their acromion that's a, called a, a, a subacromial uh, decompression um, and then so they gave half the patients that and then gave the other patients just, they just gave them a skin incision, you know, like um, they uh, anesthetized them, gave them a skin incision, mm. flushed it out with saline and sewed them back up again, you know, did nothing basically. Mm. And mm. Uh, they found, you know, they got a similar same results, same, same results a year later. Mm. Same for knee surgery, for um, mm. meniscectomy, uh, partial meniscectomy for degenerative meniscus tears. You know, so there's a whole bunch. It's mm. not just pills. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the placebo effect is a very robust effect. And it can also be just words. So when you give somebody a uh, – this is a study – I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of it. But basically they gave um, people – an. Uh, actually, it was in a book I read called uh, – Enhancing the placebo effect in manual therapy, um, where they gave people a, uh, a powerful opioid. These were pe- people in hospital who had some kind of post-surgical pain or something. Um, they gave them a powerful opioid, and then the other group. Then this was by intravenous drip. They gave the other group, you know, an intravenous drip, and came mm. put an injection into the drip and said, "This is a powerful opioid. This will really help your pain." And of course, it was just saline, you know, salt yeah, water, right. and they both got about the same level of pain relief. Wow, um, uh, but the opioid lasted longer, um, and then they then they they did an ingenious <laughs> switch where they they gave people the real opioid and they said to them, "This is just saline." <gasps> and what happened? Minimal to nil pain relief. Wow. Yeah. So um, it it so the 
the placebo effect, you know, in terms of people's belief and expectation about what's going to happen is very real and robust and it has very real physio- wow. it has physiological effects. You know, stuff happens in your brain and, and spinal cord that, you know, it's not just like people psychologically believe that it's going to help. So therefore they imagine that it's helping or something. It's like it actually yeah. helps because, you know, you manufacture more endogenous opioids or whatever. I'm not, you know, I'm not sure of the exact mechanisms, but basically yeah. anyway, it's a very well-documented effect in, you know, right across a range of situations from musculoskeletal pain to post-surgical pain to, you know, to migraines, to Parkinson's, to, you know, all kinds of, like deep brain stimulation for Parkinson's patients. If they do sham deep brain stimulation, it has some kind of effect. It's not as good as the real thing, but it, it's better than nothing. <laughs> Um, so there's there's all kinds of instances of the placebo effect. And what it turns out to be the case is that there's also the opposite is true, which is what we were alluded to with that um, sham study with the opioid where they gave them the real opioid and said it's not, you know, it's, this won't help. It's just pretend. In fact, it didn't help. So, and that's mm. called, that's the opposite of the placebo effect, effect. That's called the nocebo effect. And that's basically where you expect something to make you worse. So it does. Um, mm. and, and that's been documented, uh, not as much as the placebo effect, but it pretty, it's a pretty robust finding there, are, you know, dozens or more of studies that have replicated this effect. And it can be from the use of language. You know, if you say words that evoke, um, you know, pain, you know, um, versus, you know, like, as in like words that are associated with pain, like searing or burning or tearing or whatever, you know, um, or if you, um, just tell people that something is, is going to hurt a lot or whatever, you like, it hurts more. So, um, mm. uh, so that's cool. a very robust effect and it's, it's been, I mean, there's one, anyway, I won't go into the studies, but there's some really <laughs> cool studies and I just think who the hell volunteers for these like Can, pain, experimental pain studies. I think absolutely shit. What was the study you told me about the other day? Um, the, the, the pain one that they, I really loved that study. Which one was that? The, the, pain, was where, the, the, the pain word? Yes. I think we yes. talked, didn't we talk about that on the podcast one time? No. Oh, no. Well, I think we did, but I'll briefly talk about it. And then there's one I want to talk about um, that uh, Mosley and We're repeating ourselves already. (laughs) Um, Well, anyway, basically in this particular study, they got two groups of people and um, everybody got an electric shock um, and everyone got the exact same voltage of electric shock and they all got told a word beforehand and half of them got told a pain-like associated word like searing, rending, tearing, you know, awful whatever, uh, and some of them yeah. just got a random word like table or chair or cloud or something, and um, then they all got their same exact like, identical electric shock, and they got asked on a scale of 1 to 10, how painful is it? And the people who received the pain word rated it as significantly more painful than the other people. Um, but the the study I'm I'm thinking of here is um, is more subtle and and more powerful than that. Okay. Um, and this is a study done by Mosley et al., um, uh, in uh, Adelaide, Australia, at uh, Flinders University, and uh, they got people who had uh, chronic arm pain. And so they had two groups of people who had chronic arm pain. They had wrist pain, actually. And so some of them had um, something called complex regional pain syndrome, and some of them had just non-complex regional pain syndrome. So they had like carpal tunnel or whatever, just random wrist pain. Yep. And um, – 
So uh, complex regional pain syndrome is a highly compl- complex <laughs> pain system disorder. You know, so it's the pain the pain system goes haywire, and you just mm. get this crazy you know pain in a body part, and that's why it's called complex regional pain syndrome. Mm. So it's not very well understood. Um, but the pain in complex regional pain syndrome is not related to tissue damage. It's related to the a pain system malfunction. Um, and so basically what they did with these people was they they strapped their wrists, you know, the painful wrist, painful arm to the table. Um, so they strapped it in so they could not move, you know, they, so they couldn't bend or twist or lift the arm up or do anything like that. Mm. Then they put surface electrodes on the arm. So basically little pads, like a little electrode pad that they put on the arms to that are very sensitive to electricity and they measure the electrical signals in the muscles in the arm mm. um, and they instructed these people to keep their arms completely relaxed not to move the arm to keep the muscles relaxed and they used the EMGs to measure whether the muscles were in fact relaxed um, mm. and then what they did was they showed these people pictures of arms you know pictures a picture of someone's wrist um, with, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. With the wrist, like you know, flexed or you know, extended or twisted or with a fist and then bent to the side or yes. you know, just people's wrists in different positions, basically, right? Uh-huh. All you know, if you just put your hand in front of you and move it in, or you know, as far as it'll go in every direction, that those are basically the photos that they showed them, and mm-hmm. they so they specifically told them, don't tense your hand, keep your hand relaxed, keep your forearm relaxed, just look Mm. at the photos and imagine doing that with your hand, but don't move your hand, just imagine doing that with your hand. And so they imagined doing that and they measured the EMG activity in their arms and lo and behold, no activity in the muscles, the muscles are completely relaxed. So all they're doing is imagining bending their wrist. And guess what happened? Their swelling in their arm increased 8% in like a minute. Right, so their arm wow. physically swelled up, and they had increased pain uh, and pain sensitivity. Right, wow. this is from imagining bending their wrist. Right, wow, absolutely zero muscle activity, and so this, so you know, the nocebo effect. <laughs> you know, of course, if you if you show somebody with a very sore wrist, right, a, you know, and ask them to imagine bending their wrist. To an extreme position, like you can imagine, that would evoke a sort of a negative response in that person, you know, in their central nervous system. Wow. So, anyway, so the nocebo effect is very real; it's very documented, and it's it's there's there's physiology involved, right? It's not just psychology. It's yeah, yeah I think that's what's yeah. important is what is 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 that because I yeah. think often I yeah I often think it's yeah yeah it's really important to remember it's physiology, not just the psychology. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that's so, so fascinating. So when so when so when I'm in your class and and I'm doing legs in tabletop and you're telling me, Raf, make sure you keep your pelvis nice and stable. Well, you know, implicit underneath that instruction is like the the idea that well, if you don't keep stable, you'll be unstable, and if you're unstable, that could be really bad. Mm-hmm. And so then you know, I'm unconsciously imbibing that message that, you know, I should keep my pelvis stable <laughs> because mm. I don't want an unstable pelvis, whatever the hell mm. that is. I don't want one. Mm. And, and yeah. I see it I see it all the time too. Um, and and where, where, where my brain 
stopped before when I was trying to explain myself. I think too, when you were saying, it's just come back to me when you were saying, you know, when, when teachers say stable and they're saying one thing and we think they're probably meaning another, e.g. keep still. Again, and I, and I loop into this a lot. And this is, again, this is what I talk to my students about a lot is you gotta be really mindful of the cues you are using don't use throwaway cues. Don't just like the the vertebra by vertebra, the, you know, all these cues that you just, the belly button to spine, all these things that you just, don't let the knees go over your toes, like the don't hyperextend your lower back, whatever the hell that means. Oh, don't, don't hyperextend those elbows or knees. What? Um, it, there's these throwaway cues that had become so ingrained in Pilates queuing culture yeah. um, that they have the real, you know, they can cause harm. Yeah. And <laughs> That's the funny thing. Like, like they're saying these cues, right? The teachers are saying these cues in because they're thinking they're keeping their client safe. With all maybe, the best or maybe they're not in, in the world. With all the best intentions in the world, or maybe they're not even thinking about why yeah, they're saying it. They're just they're throwing just it out there because they heard because someone else say it and correct. so they're yelling it out. Yeah. Exactly. But in trying your best to keep someone safe, you could actually be creating harm and danger for that person. Yeah. And this is what we've got to really shine a light on ourselves and on our teaching and what comes out of our mouth. We need to shine a light on that because, and 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 Raf and I will be the first to say that, you know, we we don't believe that anyone's in this to try and do harm no, to no, another. No, of course, you know, of it's not. it's absolute best intent. And Pilates instructors, no matter where you come from or who you've trained with or how long you've been doing it or not, you're in it because you probably you're in it because you really like people and you like helping people get moving and the myriad of health benefits that come from getting someone moving. But we also then constantly is beholden on us as teachers to reflect on, you know, best practice and and this safety culture is not best practice. No. Because it can make it can make things worse. And just while I think of it, the name of that study I just dug it out, is called Thinking About Movement Hurts, The Effect of Motor Imagery on Pain and Swelling in People with Chronic Arm Pain. And that was by Mosley et al. from 2008. So I'll pop a link to that in the show notes. Um, That'd be amazing. And we love Mosley, big big yeah. fan of Mosley. Yeah. And he's a funny bloke too. Loz. Yeah. Um, awesome. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, it's it's very natural you know, to, to if 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 you've been told that something's dangerous, like putting your knees over your toes or having your pelvis unstable when you're lying on your back or been doing the splits when you're pregnant or, you know. Hyperextending your lumbar. I really, I keep. <laughs> or I locking keep, your I keep elbows. My, my, my head, I'm the exploding emoji with that. So, <laughs> like, I think it's important that everyone knows that the, the, the most of your extension comes from your lumbar spine. Yeah. If so if you're doing it, yeah. an if you're doing some sort of back extension exercise, guess lumbar, what? Yeah. <laughs> Your lumbar's going to be extending, and yeah. yeah so, mm. um, um, and, and that's that's I'd love to have a long t- chat about that some other time. I um, would as well, Raf. <laughs> but I think you know, I'd just like to keep it more general today and yes. think about like you know we have this notion that we've got to keep people safe in Pilates, and we're just so worried, you know, as an as a as a industry about hurting people and i think that is completely unjustified like look at things like 
breakdancing. I mean, just go to YouTube and type in like breakdancing and you will see some humans doing some fucking unbelievable shit. Like type just, in literally any other physical sport. Gymnastics like or and then you might need to wrestling like, or weightlifting or mixed martial arts or like people just do hardcore. like calisthenics. Look at the guys that do the bar stars thing, you know, like the guys that do like the monkey bars and do those reverse one finger pull-ups, you know with their arms behind yeah. their backs and stuff. Like, people do really full-on crazy shit with their bodies. Wrestling, boxing. Yeah. right. Yeah. And, and and then we get people lying on a Pilates bed, lifting up like a tenth of their body weight, and we're going like, oh, watch out, make sure you stay safe. You know, it's like, it's just, it's ridiculous when you think about it. <laughs> it, it is ridiculous. And, and I reflect on the safety culture quite often too and where it comes from. And, and earlier, thank you for correcting me, I didn't mean to throw – contemporary under the bus. Not, I not without throwing classical under the bus as well. Not without throwing everything under the bus because, <laughs> right. <laughs> Raph, don't get me in trouble. Okay. Come on, I'm not here to say okay. But what I <laughs> um, back and out the door. What I wanted to say was when I look at the videos of Joseph Pilates teaching in his gym, right, and the movements and the hands-on <laughs> Not fearful. He was not fearful. Like there was no – and also when you look at his original repertoire, you know, there's some really – It's vigorous. It's full on, yeah. And think think Restless Bridge and then think actually Restless Bridge without hands and then think reverse that, the headstand where you've actually got the head – on the headrest, feet on the footbar and yeah. hands behind your back yeah. as you press out and you actually dip your hips mm. and then pull back into a headstand. Mm. Now, when did Pilates become this, oh, vertebra by vertebra and don't let your knees come over your toes and if something feels slightly uncomfortable, don't do it and mm. don't hyperextend this and that. When did that happen and why? And that's I'm curious about that. And then it happened, right? It happened. There was a pinpoint where it happened. And then you see it happen even more maybe in like when the, you know, the physio of like the 90s and 2000s yeah. where, where you know, um, McGill and, you know, all the, the the neutral spine and blah, blah, blah was the rage. Although, and, and I have to say, I, I disagree with a lot of what McGill says about neutral spine and stuff, but I have to hand it to, to the man. He's, he's, loves loading people, you know, like he's not afraid to load people. He loads the shit out of him. So He's just, afraid to load, but he does – I'm sorry, he's not afraid to load, but I don't – from he, from what I'm seeing him talking about pain, he doesn't yeah, seem to get no, the mechanisms no, he doesn't of really pain. Get it, no. doesn't really get pain. But, yeah, sure, he's all about heavy lifting. Mm. Um, but do we apply – you know, though, he doesn't like a – he's actually poo-pooed Pilates. He said the roll-up. Well, Something well, about the roll-up takes a, takes a, a sit-up and makes it <laughs> – Ten times worse. I'm like, what? Yeah, well, uh, you know, I think you know some. You know, you and I sometimes poo-poo Pilates. That's all right. No, Can't but, hold that against him. No, but no, but Ralph, he poo-pooed in the sense that he said it was dangerous. Oh. like I'm, that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying he's poo-pooing and saying it's too low load. He's actually saying that a roll-up is not safe. Yeah. McGill has said that a roll-up well, is tell not that, safe tell because that to in McGill's the, tell that to the ten thousand people who've been doing roll-ups all their life without a problem. This is what I'm saying. So, like, like it's because it, he's he's like you've got a finite amount of backbends in you, yeah, and once that's, you're that's done like with that, that finite amount of backbends, that's like that um, sort of like crazy. I'm not sure if it ever was a medical thing, but like the notion that 
you know, a few crazy people used to have that you've only got a certain number of heartbeats in your life. And so if you exercise and your heartbeats faster, like you, you know, you'll die quicker. Actually, it's the reverse. Ooh. You know, the more you exercise, the longer you live statistically. Yeah. Um, wow. uh, so, yeah, it's, and it's the same. Like the more you exercise your back, the stronger your back gets. It's the yeah, same. yeah. The, hey, and running, guess what? You get thicker, juicier discs in yeah. your spine. Yeah. Awesome. Tell you what, yeah. I love a run. And if you so, and if you do powerlifting and deep squats, you get uh, thicker piece posterior cruciate ligaments in your knees that resist those uh, posterior you know, shear forces on the tibia that are imposed by your patella tendon. Yeah, in a deep how? squat. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, and it, again, it's moving away from the notion that the body is a machine mm. and a machine breaks down, mm. right? No, but, the body is a living organism yeah, that gets, adapts. can get, get adapts and can get stronger yeah. at any point in our life. You know, if I want to get stronger at eighty, I can get stronger at eighty. And, and if you right? look, if you look at like um, just people living in more traditional, we like hunter gatherer situations, like. They don't walk around in neutral spine. <laughs> you know, they oh my god! They don't walk around with it. It's like you know, micro bending their knees so yeah. they're not hyperextending their knees. Or here comes the lion. Like if I've got to think about a micro bend in my knees to get away from the predator, mm. <laughs> I'm eaten. Yeah. So I guess you know, you know, without kind of going into the the mechanics or the research on any of those individual things like back bending, forward bending, knees over toes, pronation, supination, hyperextending. Because we elbows. will go into that. We'll go yeah. into that in other. There's in like other ten episodes podcast. right there. Yeah. But but you know, without kind of going through and sort of like you know looking at the the biomechanics and the forces and whatever in each one of those and showing mm. how it's actually safe. Uh, mm. To do it, like which I we think, could show, <laughs> which we will, which we will show. Um, yes. That I think that you know, I mean, I would encourage you if you're listening to this, and if you you know, if this is a new concept for you, or if you you know, open to questioning this, like just literally go onto YouTube and type in break dancing, or gymnastics, or you know, wrestling, and, and just I mean, I think break dancing is perfect because it's just got people, unbelievably strong and athletic people who can do like literally one-handed jumping handstand push-ups, you know, like just crazy shit. And look at the contortions that they, that they get into weight bearing on their fully extended neck or, you know, totally twisted up in a lotus position and, you know, hopping and jumping on their knees and stuff. Like just, they do really cool shit and they're, they're fine, you know, and and then just compare and contrast that to what happens in the average Pilates class where we're lying on our back, breathing, and thinking about our pelvic floor for the first 10 minutes. And it's like, man, there is no fucking danger in Pilates. Pilates is like just about the safest bloody activity known to humans. And please, if you have got a client and you're making them lay on their back and think about their pelvic floor for 10 minutes, stop and get them moving. <laughs> but we'll put that in another episode. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> do something. <laughs> more yeah. with them um but it, so in regards to this like you know as i was saying it's sort of like when did this safety culture to this extent it, it kind of it crept in and then it stuck mm. and it stuck and i feel like you know the the where other fields are are moving along in yeah. leaps and bounds and, yeah. and we are knowing know now that actually the b- bigger predictor of injury is not form, it's load, load. and that what we actually need to do is build someone's tissue capacity up incrementally to to load and rom. 
Right. And that applies to everything. It doesn't just apply to a Pilates. It applies to everything. You know, if I want to do a 10K run and I've, you know, only been doing five minutes around the block, well, tomorrow I shouldn't go do a 10K. You know, I might pull up a bit sore or something. I may not as well. But, you know, you build yourself up, right? right. And it's usually not so, the first time that you do it that is when you get injured. Like if you ran 10Ks tomorrow, you'd probably be fine. But if you decided to run 10Ks four times a week, you know, after two or three weeks, we you probably you probably pull a hamstring or something after a couple of weeks. Yeah, potentially. And look, and I might not too. It's not a predictor of injury, but it's you know, and it wouldn't have to do with the fact that maybe I wiggle as I run, or no. maybe like I just you haven't built up as I run. Just haven't built up I'm your tissue a, capacity. Yeah, haven't haven't built it up. Like I've seen myself running. I'm quite a wiggler. You know, yeah, what does that mean? I've of, got some. a lot of elite runners. Yeah, what's what you know? Have I got something wrong with my glute medius? Is it not so like? Com- we'll talk like, about no. the tri- that. That could be another episode. We'll talk about the Trendelenburg test and the lidocaine um, uh, experiment. Okay, yeah. yeah, I'd love to. So, um, so, so safety culture. So, what we're doing? Step one. What we're doing in Pilates is really low load. It's, it's low, really load. low load. It's really low load. We don't need to be telling people to engage this, do that to protect their spine. The spine that is safe. just. The, the spine is is strong, robust. There is so much amazing connective tissue around it, tendons, ligaments, fascia, muscle, rah, rah, rah. Like it's, you know, I, I and I get my students to reflect on this. If we were really as fragile as some Pilates teachers would think we are, how would we to have evolved to where we are now? How would I be getting out of bed in the morning? How would I be tying my shoelaces? How would like, I be doing Jefferson like, curls every day? Like, (laughs) (laughs) note sarcasm in my tone, everyone, please. I love a Jefferson Curl. But please stop and put your critical thinking caps on again and think about the whys and think about are you throwing out unnecessary cues that you haven't thought about Mm. and that actually could have a long-reaching dangerous implication for your client? Yeah. And, and I would say even, you know, even if you're unconvinced as yet, because we haven't really presented any evidence that, you know, yeah. flexion is perfectly safe or whatever, yeah. right? Even if you're, you know, yet as yet unconvinced that it is in fact safe to put your knees over your toes or hyperextend your elbows or whatever, like if you want to, you know, tell people to keep their pelvis still, I would just say choose your words a bit more carefully and choose more neutral words that are descriptive of what you want, not no cbic you know so rather than saying keep your pelvis nice and stable say try and lift your leg whilst keeping your pelvis perfectly still because that's a challenge you know mm. rather or than could saying we even use safe. an external cue and yeah. and not even go with pelvis and you know maybe some sort of external imagery cue you know balance i don't know mm. imagine you're balancing something if chloe came t-shirt. around and put the heels of her hands on your asis and her fingertips on your symphysis pubis <laughs> You know, Slap her, uh, because that's not appropriate touching. Okay. <laughs> that's not okay. Like, and, and no, that's not okay. Okay, good. <laughs> like, well, I'm going to make a note of that just so I remember for next time. That's, that's a not okay touch. Right, yeah. So, um, you know, I I always reflect back. I love, and I'm paraphrasing a little, um, but this wonderful quote by Gregory Lehman, and Raph and I are huge friends, friends, well, he is a friend, and huge fans of Greg Lehman um, and his course, Reconciling Biomechanics with Pain Science, amazing course that um, both Raph and I have done. But he has this great quote that is basically, I can't 
have my clients leaving thinking that they are in, are inherently unstable stacks of blocks. Mm. You, you just can't. Mm. I should be doing nothing that leaves my client thinking that, nothing that disempowers my client. What a great place to leave it. Mm. Thanks, Ralph. Thanks, Chloe. Great talking. Yeah, good talk. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.